0: This message that I'm doing that I've never done before. I mean, not even the subject. Um, And that's that's fairly rare now for me as I go through the Bible. And so it should be, by the way. At this point of my preaching, it should start getting to be that way for sure. And so in Psalm is our text, is the book of Psalms, 37, 21. I won't read it right away. I want to talk to you a little bit before I read it. There are traps set for us in this life. The Bible talks about snares. The word snares a trap. I trap stuff. I mean, I, I started trapping uh, mink when I was a young man, and I trapped uh, muskrats, and you learn a little bit about trapping. I have trapped raccoons. Uh, I've trapped rabbits. I've trapped di- different uh, different animals. I've, I've, I've trapped a uh, red fox. Now, that's a little bit tougher. They're a little bit, they are. But I got a fox, one red fox, caught him live. And, uh, you know, if I'd have kept him for three, four weeks, I think I'd have tamed him down. A fox, I guess, makes a pretty good pet, uh, especially if you get them small. But this one wasn't. But in the meantime, when I first got him, he was mean. But as I got to know him, three, four days, he calmed down. He wasn't so much afraid of me. But then, uh, so I've, I know a little bit about trapping. I trap rats, one of my favorite animals to trap. When you, I had chickens for quite a while. When I had chickens, you have to feed the chickens. Chickens are wasters. They're wasters. You know, you have a feed, and they'll get in there, and they like to, they like to push it out of the feeder and always push it out, and they're always just wasting food. Well, the rats love that. They thought that was a great thing. So at one time, without doing too much counting, I had over hundred rats. I mean, literally. You could you could, when it was dark, you'd go out there with a flashlight and it was just a scattering everywhere. Was just scattering. They were starting to get into my truck. The one died in the frame of my truck. That was real good. Um, but you know, I started getting real serious about trapping them. I've gone through different philosophies of trapping. Now we're into this humane thing. Everybody's into humane thing, you know, even for, even for rats. And so they want to catch them humanely, whatever that means. But um, so I bought one. I bought a live catch, a live catch where it this. It, it's as neat as I mean. I, I'd have to show it to you. But if you want to catch some rats, call me. And so I, I've learned what they will resist, what they'll do, what they won't do, what they won't go in, what they will go in. Now to catch that fox, I had to really. Think about, I I got him in a what I call a double whammy. I caught him in a double whammy. I had a real big trap, six foot by six foot by six foot, with a, you know all the way around, and I had a little trap in the big trap. And so he came in the big one. I got him used to coming in the big one, and then I set the little one in there, and he went right in there, boy. I got him and said, ah, got gotcha. you. You know, you all smart animals makes you feel good. You know. And so, anyways, we, but I got thinking as I've, as I've gone through those, you know, trying to catch bobcat, I also, I've never successfully trapped a bobcat. I'm upset about that, but I never successfully, I've killed a lot of bobcat, but I've never successfully trapped bobcat. They're smart. They are extremely smart and wary about going in traps or even foot traps All kinds of traps they stay away from. There's just something else about it. for an animal, a weary animal. And the devil has set traps for you. Uh, You can just know this, that there are all kinds of pitfalls and traps set for you in this life. You. Yeah, you. Not just me, but you. You've got traps set for you. And you need to be aware that there are traps out there. And everything that glitters is not gold. Amen. Everything that glitters is not gold. How many here have been to the John Ringling uh, Museum up the way in Sarasota there? If you haven't been to John Ringling, you've lived here a while, go to John Ringling Museum. It was renovated at the cost of some $15 million. I think he built the place for, for $4 million, $3 million, something like that. But uh, the, they renovated it for $15 million. Prices have gone up since 1924. And so John Ringling was making it at the height of the Ringling Barnum Bailey Circus a million dollars a month, clear. I thought that was a lot of money back in the 20s. I mean, we're talking the 20s, right? The roaring 20s, a million a month. So he was a wealthy man, and he would go to Europe. The mansions in Europe were being torn down and burnt down and stuff, and so he would go and buy them, and he would take all the rooms, and he would reproduce that, and that's reproduced at his house up on the bay there in Sarasota. A lot of those so the stuff's in there is very, very old. Before he got it, and this is just interesting to me to go. One thing about Ringling, he said he's known for this. He said there's a sucker born every minute and two to take him. Do I need to repeat that? Ringling, one of his famous statements was, "There's a sucker born every minute and two to take him." When he got his picture taken, he had his hand in his pocket, and that, well, the guy that took the picture said, "That's the first time he hasn't had he had his hand in somebody else's pocket." That was kind of what he was known for as a shrewd businessman. Um, But a trap, there are many things that can destroy your life. Take away the energy, your energy for good. Take away your time for God. Make your days full of sorrow and strife. Anger and resentment take over and kill, literally kill the soul of its joy. The Bible warns of these. And I want to mention a few of them and specifically one of them. Our text is pretty straightforward, so let us listen to it carefully. Let me read it. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Uh years ago, a lot of our parents weren't paying their bill, you know. It hurts your feelings when you run a school at such low cost, half the normal cost already. The church buys it down. And then uh, a parent will be driving, you know. Driving, they're driving the newest stuff, and they'll come in. and I don't know their finances, and I don't go. But I mean, they're not making their payments on their kids, and yet they seem to be able to have the the newest, nicest stuff, you know. And it hurts your feeling. One woman, she poor, I, you know, she played poor on us, and and ended up uh, having seventy five hundred dollars owed us, and didn't pay us. About three years later, she came back in, and paid us. Now, that, I tell you, that's a miracle. Three years later, she came back in and paid us said, you know, I got right with God. I did wrong, and I, I, had the, I got the money. Here's the money. Wow, I like that. I appreciate that, and God will bless that kind of attitude. So the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Money can be a massive blessing in this life. It can be. It can be used for God, or it can be a horrid curse. Most of the time, it is a curse. Very few people can handle wealth. Very few can handle wealth. First Timothy chapter 6, in fact the whole chapter 6 talks about three different kinds of people when it has the people who don't have, the people who want to have, and the people who have. That's the three groups of people in the world. The people who don't have, the people who want to have, and the people who have. That's the three groups mentioned in First Timothy chapter 6. I've preached that before. Uh, the deal, But it says in verse 9 through 10 there, it says, but they that will be rich. Now that's the group It's most condemned. Of the three groups in 1 Timothy 6, those who don't have are not condemned. Those who have really are not condemned. But those who want to have are condemned. That's this group. But they that will be rich, they want to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. And that's that trap. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. If I read John three sixteen, you'd say, brother, go to God. For God's love of the world, I believe every word of it. You better believe every word of this, too. For the love of money, and it's not money, it's the love of it. It's those who covet it, is the root of all evil. And that's an amazing statement. It's probably one of the most misquoted <laughs> statements in the Bible. Uh, but it is quoted a lot. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have what, what's happened to them? They erred from the faith. And pierced themselves. You know, you heard a statement you're your worst enemy. You don't have to worry most of the time about somebody hurting you. You got to mostly worry about you hurting you. Amen? And I'm going to say amen to that. Amen. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. In my my floor covering days of 17 years, I got into a lot of homes, a lot of poor homes, a lot of middle homes, a lot of wealthy homes. Got into places I would have never been invited, and I would have never been able to go had I not had business to be there. And one thing I noticed was the very rich or the rich, what I would consider rich people, and that that varies with person to person, by the way, uh, were some of the most miserable lot I had ever been around. Just generally speaking. Rich people were miserable to work for. They were tight. You know where I got my biggest tips? The poor people. Not the middle class. The poor guy that had a job, he was a carpenter, a plumber, or whatever, he's out working, he'd give you a big old tip, man, for doing a job for him. I was like, what in the world? That's what I found out. Uh, But the rich people, oftentimes, uh, they were about half upset for what, what was being charged them. And And they were and I noticed their interaction among their children was oftentimes it was a, you know there was, a, there was a sense of anger there, a sense of resentment, a sense of bitterness, and "I don't have this and I want this," and a coveting after. That's what it means by piercing yourselves through with many sorrows. It's best to live poor and to have the joy of the Lord than it is to live rich and to lose that. Amen. It is, really. The better to be poor. The Bible says, the Bible warns strongly about money and riches. First of all, let me go through a few things it warns about. You cannot keep them. That's a duh. In Psalm 39, 6, it says, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. Uh, one thing's for sure, somebody else will manage your money down the road. Somebody else will manage it. Uh, and in Psalm 62.10, trust not in oppression and become vain in robbery. If riches increase, if riches increase, and it happens, set not your heart upon them. Don't, don't. oh boy, now I got it made. Now I got it, I'm secure. Now I got my 401K. I can retire. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? There's a reason for that. Because in Proverbs 23, 4 to 5, it says, labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. The world's wisdom, of course. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. That's Black Tuesday. Oh, yeah. And they fly away as an eagle towards heaven. I'm not too impressed by the stock market being 27,000, 28,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. Because someday it's going to go down to 10,000. I mean, it's just the, the, it's the way of the game. What goes up must come down. It seems to do that. Now, eventually they say, if you follow it for 50 years, it overall has a gain. Now, hey, good, good for them. Good for them. But any time I ever got in, it always lost. I, can, I ought to write a book on what stocks not to buy. Because if that, I buy that stock, it's going to go to nothing. So I gave all that up. So the riches will tend to take wings and fly away on you. Don't set your heart on them. Uh, you will not be able to keep them. Secondly, about money, as you, you got to know, they cannot. Money cannot redeem your soul. Money cannot really help you spiritually. Psalm 49, 6, 7 says, "They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. It doesn't impress God." There's people I believe that give money, thinking that they don't that they give money instead of service. You know what I mean? God will not accept that. He wants you. You know, Uncle Sam, I want you. He doesn't, uh, The money, it, yeah, we're to tithe. a are It's clear what we're supposed to do and our obligations, everything comes from God. But ultimately, you can't give yourself out of your service. God wants my time as well as he wants my treasure. You with me on it? He wants my time. He wants me. One other thing I loved about Chris Powell, which was a wealthy man, uh, Chris was humble, like everybody. Else. He he'd go door to door with me. He was crippled, by the way. He had polio. Seventeen years old. and He had to have. He had to. It was hard for him to walk. He'd go upstairs with me, door to door. I mean, he'd just go. He, you, if you tried to tell him not, he'd be upset with you. No, no, I can go. I can go. He didn't want to feel like he was handicapped, though he was. But he'd go about where you'd go, and 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 uh, man, he'd do. We'd do deacons' meetings, and he'd take notes. He said, you know, when I. When I had my legal firm, I had a whole set of secretaries that took notes and waited on every word I wanted to say and write it down. He said, here, I'm taking all the notes at the deacon's meeting. He humbled himself. He came with us regular folks and just was a regular, normal guy. He understood that riches did not really change you. You're still who you are. And so it can't redeem you. Thirdly, uh, they really do not satisfy. Really, they do not satisfy. Well, that's a good, that's something to believe. Psalm 37, 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Not just a few, many wicked. So if you're here tonight feeling bad because you're poor, don't. Don't feel bad because you're poor. Feel bad for the folks who are rich. Everybody wants their stuff. I mean, there's con men in rooms tonight thinking how to get pyramid and Ponzi schemes and all these other things. I got a call the other day uh, on my cell phone and it said that the uh, somebody was messing with my social security that I was supposed to call that number back. Don't do it. Don't do it. I don't care what the cell phone tells you. Don't do it. I just saved you tonight. My Wife worked at the bank for years, and these poor souls would come in, these old folks especially, and they would come in and, and some of them would lose 20 grand, 30 grand, 35. They'd send checks to people. That's what keeps those people going. If the IRS texts you, it's not them. If the Social Security texts you, it's not them. If I text you, it's me. But if I want your social security number, it's not me. If I want your credit card, it's not me. Never, ever, ever, ever give your credit card number out. I have the NRA, and I'm a member, been a life member for a long time. NRA. I have them call me, and they'll say, well, you donate. And I said, how do I know you, you are who you say you are? Well, because I said, how do I know who you are? If I want to give to you, I know where you're at. I'll give. I'm not taking phone solicitation. I don't know what's them. You don't know it's them. And on the, on the web, they can perfectly duplicate a website that looks exactly like the real website. It's called phishing, P-H, by the way, P-H-I-S-A. And it's not. You can't believe it. Your computer will help you a little bit on that to identify a real site and not a real site. But look, when in doubt, just don't do it. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 8 said, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. This is the principle. Nor the ear filled with hearing. In other words, human nature is when you get a 1,000 square foot house, you want a 2,000 square foot house. When you get a 2,000 square foot house, you want a 3,000 square foot house. When you get a 10,000 square foot house, you get old, and you want to go back to the 1,000 square foot house. My mom and dad did me a great favor. We were raised three boys and mom and dad in 600 square feet total. That was a tremendous favor to me. I did not know we were poor. I did not know that was small. Most of you wouldn't even consider raising three kids. I don't know who I was talking to recently about a house for for a a house for. Where's Chris? Is Chris Barrows here? For a house for you? I'm always looking for you, bro. I'm looking. I want Barrows to buy a house. Man, you need to buy a house. And I wanted him to buy a house, and, and this person said, Oh, that house would be way too small, it's so only 1,000 feet. Now, you know what I'm thinking. He's only got two kids. 1,000 feet is 400 feet bigger than my mom and dad had with three kids. You can just lay them out on the floor at night, get it all back up, and put it back for the day. Whatever happened to that group of people? Okay. I'm better, I'm better. Fourthly, riches make it hard to get to heaven. Riches make it hard to get to heaven. Mark chapter 10, Jesus' words. The, G- the disciples were astonished at his words. I love Jesus. I love the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ. What a He came out of left field on them boys. He went against all accepted understanding and wisdom in some cases. But Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. And that's the key right there. You can be rich and right with God, but you can't trust in Him. It doesn't make you better, it doesn't spiritually improve you. It is not a sign of the blessing of God on you, it is a sign of responsibility. That you've been given. That's what that's the sign up. More responsibility. Who much is given, much is required. If you got a lot of money, you got a lot of responsibility. And and by the way, First Timothy chapter 6 tells you what to do with it if you got it. And it's pretty strong words. And so he says they that trust in riches. It's hard for them that trust in riches to enter in the kingdom of God. And then he says this statement that blows their mind. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, all people tried to, liberals have tried to say, well, the eye of a needle was you know, something this big or they could possibly get through it. The truth is, it's an eye of a needle. And a camel's never going to go through that eye of a needle. That's why what followed is what. And the Bible says the apostles that were listening were astonished out of measure. They were astonished out of measure. It just blew their mind. Why? Because they had been taught riches were a direct blessing of God. And he's saying, the people who trust in riches, they're not going to make it. Except, with men it's impossible, with God all things are possible. A few will. And they were astonished, and they said the question, asked him a question. Who then can be saved? Because they thought, It was the rich people that were blessed of God, and it was the rich people that were going to be saved. If anybody went to heaven, it was going to be the rich people. And it was the opposite. It was the poor people that were going to make it to the kingdom of heaven before the rich people. Wow. That's a different thinking, isn't it? Fifthly, riches tend to choke out the eternal values in your life and cheat you, cheat you. Ultimately, out of true riches. Luke chapter 8 verse 14. And they which. in the parable of the sower. They which fell among thorns. Uh, when they have heard go forth and are choked. They're limited. With what? The cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Because riches bring pleasures. Riches can afford pleasures. You know they buy pleasures. You can buy stuff other people can't do. You can have stuff people can't have. You can go places other people can't go. So it, it affords you the opportunity to have. But it says here, that's a bad thing. The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. And listen to what it says. And bring no fruit to perfection. See what God, in God's vision, this whole thing is going to be burned up. And he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth, and none of this stuff's really going to ultimately, I'm talking about possession stuff, if you don't use it for him, it's not going to count for anything, it's absolutely like it never happened, it's gone. He's looking at the things you do for eternity, being real, being forever forever. Being no moth can come in and bother, no rust can bother, no thief can bother, and that they're the real wealth. And so he's trying to convince a group of people that are over here with their noses so far down in this stuff, they can't hardly come up for air, and he's trying to teach them that this is what's real, this is temporary, this is real. And man, that's a hard lesson to grab. Because everywhere we look around us, we see this material stuff, and we don't see that invisible stuff. But the Bible says the invisible stuff is the eternal stuff. Oh, man. So let's get back to our text. Why is borrowing without equity a problem? And notice I've defined that. Why is borrowing without equity a problem? What I'm going to call unsecured loans. Now, secured loans are a different category because you got a car I want to buy, and I you allow me to have that car, and I pay you so much a month. If I don't pay you, what do you do? You come get the car. Sometimes you can make money doing that. You know that buy here, pay her places actually make money doing that. They love to repossess them. They get enough money on your down payment, which covers their cost. I knew a guy in that business. So they cover cover their cost with your down payment. So they got nothing in it. So if you make five or six payments, they're just a plus ahead on that, then you don't make your first payment or so. They, They, what they call hostile towing. One of our parents does that, by the way. Hostile towing. Two in the morning, they show up, boom, 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 drag it out in 15 seconds. It's gone down the road. They got your car. All your stuff in it, by the way, is theirs. So they got your car, and they sell your car again. They roll that thing over, and they do it again, and they do it again for people who really shouldn't be buying a car because they can't afford to make the payments on it. So the lender has really very little to no risk in a secured loan. When I bought my house, the people who loaned me the money to buy it Knew that if I defaulted, they could have the house and get their money all back. But what God's really talking about in this is the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. There's nothing to pay back. Unsecured loans. Unsecured loans. Credit cards. Credit cards. The demons of the United States. Credit cards. I was 19 years old and got a will done by Rubenstein. Rubenstein was an extremely wealthy Jew. Uh, and Rubenstein, Buckley, remember them? The lawyers here in the group. Rubenstein and Buckley. This is in 1971. I did a will because I had a child. And I thought I'd probably have a will, you know. So I went got a will done, and, and he charged me 110 bucks. And then after he got done doing the will, he shut the door, and he said, now I want to talk to you. You're 19 years old. I have some financial wisdom and I want to share it with you. He was, a Jew, he, was, he was a Jew who liked a fundamentalist. He wanted to know what a fundamentalist was, too. And so he said, first of all, I want you to go down and get a card of pennies. I didn't have a credit card. He said, go get a card of pennies, and I said, I want you to start charging stuff, but don't charge anything you don't have the money for. He said, but when, you, when instead of paying cash, charge it, and then when the bill comes, pay it. You won't pay any interest. You establish your credit rating, and when you get ready to buy a house, you'll have a series of credit to pay. To. That guy was smart. He knew how to use the system, but he said, oh, if you can't afford something and you don't have the money, don't ever buy it. From that day to this day, I've kept that. If we don't have the money, we don't buy it. I don't pay credit card interest, though I charge everything on credit card, but my, I don't even know if we did, my, I demand have done my house payment on credit card, I don't know if they let you do that. But I would, because I get like 1.5%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% back on certain stuff. They actually give us, like at the end of the year, I'll get like a eleven, twelve dollars $1,200 check from the company just because they like me. Because they don't make a dime from me, but they make 3.5% on who I do business with. Because to to accept a credit card, you have to pay about 3.5%. That's what we pay here. At the school, when our parents come in and charge on the credit, it costs us 3.5% for having to do that. The convenience. So the credit card company's making it on both ends if you don't pay. But if you you do pay, they make it on this end, 3.5%. By the way, that's more than the bank's paying. What do you think? And so, why don't you want to borrow... Why don't you want a loan? Why why would you want to stay away from unsecured loans? Well, first of all, the future is erratic at best. How many here tonight know what's going to happen tomorrow? Nobody. You have a pretty good percentage, probability. You know, if you're 80, your your probability of living to 90 is a lot better than mine. But that doesn't mean you're going to live to 90. You just have a probability of it. And so people play that game, that probability game sometimes. But many, many things change in life, and it uh, will change your ability to pay. I find people that, that get unsecured loans oftentimes have a very optimistic view of life. They always feel like they're going to pay it back, things are going to work out. But is that life that, is that the life that you guys know? Does life always come up roses? No offense, man. Does it always come out right? Do, things, do the jobs you do always go well? you know somebody by the name of Murphy? You know life don't don't go that way. In fact, you can bet that things on two out of three times are going to go bad. It's It's the law of thermodynamics. Things are running down. The law of Murphy. If something can go bad, it will go bad at the worst possible time. These are laws. And you're living in it. This happens. Amen. Falling out of a tree. Bingo. Um, I I've made mistakes. You want to hear one? I know you love to hear it when I fail. Here we go. I was at Bob Jones University, poor as a church mouse, was living in a four thousand dollar Redmond mobile home, which was made in Elkhart, which I knew about. It was a twelve by fifty, and I I, I purchased a secured loan, purchased it, was making payments on it, and. I had a vehicle to work out of, my green van. I had a green Dodge van I worked out of and laid floor covering. And then my wife was stuck at home all day. Well, you know, when I'd come home, I needed to do homework to 2 in the morning a lot of times, and midnight a lot of times, and she said, well, I need to go buy groceries. I want you to go with me. I don't want to go with you. I got work to do. I don't want to go with you. You got to be able to, well, I don't have a vehicle. I got to buy groceries. So I'd go a couple of times. You know how that worked. I thought, I've got to have a second car. Because I don't want to go with her to do that. To, to do the, we didn't have a washing machine for 10 years. She did the laundromat. She went to the laundromat and did all the laundry in about two and a half hours. You know, five, six loads, boom, you're done, you're home, you know. So she went to the laundromat. And uh, so I thought, well, she'll be able to go to the laundromat without me. That's great. She'll be able to buy groceries without me. Oh, that's even better. Uh, she'll be able to take Troy places to the doctor without me. Oh, that's good. I can just think of a lot of positive things about that. So I went down to the Ford dealership. Now, I'm poor, barely just making it. And so she's not working. She's staying at home, full-time mom at home. And I go down to Ford garage, and guess who's the salesman? The salesman's one of the Bob Jones guys. He's one of my Bob Jones buddies. My buddy from Bob Jones, he's going to Bob Jones. I'm going to Bob Jones. We're brothers. And we go in there, and he says, man, you came to the right guy. I am going to show you a deal. I got this Torino, Torino, and it had a hood about 20 feet long, and it had a Torino. Man, that thing looked like gold to me. I never thought I'd ever be able to have anything that nice like that Torino. I got in that thing. And I looked at that, and he went down in the office, and told me what the payments were going to be and everything, and I go, I can't do it. He said, man, you know, really, I need a sale bad. I need a sale. I mean, I don't even have grocery money this month or this week. And he says, this sale would really make it, and my, my uh, employer here at Four is ready to let me go if I don't sell something pretty soon, could you just buy this thing and be, be, you know, it help me out? Well, that was an angle I wasn't ready for. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I signed up. He was happy. I never made a payment on that Torino. It was 80 bucks a month. I never could get the 80 bucks up to make the payment. I never made the payment. So I missed three payments, and you know what happens. You miss three payments, pretty soon they're calling, a the finance company calling you saying we're going to have to repossess it. I say, you don't have to. I'll bring it back. I'll do voluntary return. I don't want to hurt my credit. I waxed it, cleaned it. Showed up at 40, and they said, Man, it's the first time we've had one of these brought back, look this good. I gave it to them, said, I'm so sorry. Bill me what you don't get for it. And they did. 250 bucks they didn't get for it. They billed me and I paid them. Because I didn't want to be part of what this verse said. The wicked borroweth and payeth now and again, but boy was I beat myself up for doing that. I let my lust outrun my common sense. And what I did is and then I did it God's way. I went down and found a $500 piece of junk. Dirty, nasty car that should have been hauled to the junkyard, but I thought, this is good. This is a deal. 500 bucks, paid cash, took it home, fixed it up. That thing ran for years and years faithfully for Kathy and I. I did it God's way. It wasn't pretty, but it ran. It did what was right. How's been your experience on borrowing? I think, I think what, what, taught me about, what taught me against borrowing uh, was this. Uh, years ago, I, my uncle uh, had a rowboat, and I wanted to go out into Long Lake, and he, had a, he, had a, he told me, he said, you can use my rowboat. And I said, well, I, I don't have any oars. He said, well, I got a brand new set of oars. I'll let you use them. I went out. This is the gospel truth. If I've said anything tonight that's true, this is true. It's true. I got in there, brand new set of oak oars. Man, I put the one in here, the one that I went like this. Boom. This one here is split in half. Split in half. Just. So I, with the one oar, I went back into the dock. I got my uncle, Dale Ravenscroft. I said, Dale, I broke your oar. He says, ah, uh, you have to buy me a new set. I did. I went and bought a new set. Didn't have the money for it. Went fine. I had to work up and buy him a new set of oars and still didn't get to use them. Yeah, he got a new set of oars. One time I borrowed a uh, drill. I needed a drill. Just I needed to make two drill holes, just two drill holes. And I remember John Asher lived one street down from me, and I went over to John's house. And I said, John, I need a drill. I just need to make two quick drills. And that's all he said, here, you take my drill. I took his drill, went over there, put a bit in it, went like this, and white smoke came up out of that thing like that. <laughs> thing froze up. I went down to Sears, bought a new drill, used it, and then gave him the new drill, and I still didn't have a drill. I have another one. Uh, oh, yeah. I borrowed a skill saw. I went to Pastor McKinney, and Pastor McKinney had a beautiful skill saw. had three skill saws. Well, he, he didn't use them. And I said, well, boy, I'd really like, to, like to, uh, that skill saw right there. I could use that. And I took it home. And I remember this was an aluminum-cased skill saw. I hadn't seen too many of those. I thought, man, this is it, man. I, took, I started that baby up, started to cut the board. White smoke. Same thing, white smoke. If, if, fiction isn't this crazy. And it froze up, shot. And I still didn't have anything to cut with. And so I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I'm not going to borrow anymore. I'm not going to borrow anything from anybody. If I don't need it, if I don't have to, if it's not life and death, then there's no life and death. If it's not life and death, I'm not borrowing anything. People have asked me to borrow their boats. They've, asked, they've said, you can use my boat. No way in the world. Uh, I've never even borrowed my son's boat. I don't believe I've ever borrowed Troy's boat. And that's my own son. He owes me. I mean, all that food I fed him, you know. He's starting to pay me back, by the way. Lobster. But anyway, I appreciate that. And I mean, I just don't, I just don't, people, I remember when when, uh, uh, Georgie came with that Maserati, that that $552,000 Maserati. He said, you can have it for a couple weeks. He says, go ahead, just take it for a couple weeks. I said, I wouldn't drive this around the parking lot. No, no, one of you would back into me. I mean, I'm not going to get in. I'm not, I don't drive your car. I don't want to drive your cars. I don't want to borrow nothing. Because sure enough, something's going to happen. And here's what my concern is. I won't be able to pay you back. <clears throat> Because the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. And I sure don't want to be classed with that group. You take, and the second thing, you, when, you do, when you borrow unsecured stuff like that, you take God's opportunity to supply your need away. You pre-exempt God's generosity. <clears throat> if you'd have held back, God would have moved on people to help you if you needed it. If you really needed it and God wanted you to have it, he'd just move on somebody to help you do it. And you could, it would happen. But we move too fast and too furiously to make it happen. And so God didn't even, we move recklessly. And we buy what we really do not need, which could hurt us. And so we we preempt God's will. And God's, if you have money, if you have money to buy something, do you have to pray about it? Oh, you better. Having the money is not an answer from God. You can go ahead and do it. That's not God. That's not a, Just because you got the money doesn't mean you should do it. Make sense? But a lot of people take, if I got the money, that's, if you have the money, you don't need God. Why did we pay as we go here at the gospel? I'm talking all the way from McKinney Hall all the way out through the gym. Why do we pay as we go? We pay as we go because we want to know God supplied it. We want to know whether we're in God's will. I can tell you banks have lined up at my office to loan us money at 1%, 2%, 3%. We'll we'll balloon you. We'll let you pay in 10 years. We'll let you pay an exceptionally low number. Just borrow the money. Please borrow the money. Borrow the money. Borrow the money. And that would be secured. I said, ain't no way, man. Because I don't have to go to God and ask Him to help us if I can just go to the bank and do it. It's just a matter of signing a piece of paper. They give you the money, you go do it. But if you pay as you go, you have to have some miracles. I mean some miracles. God's got to move on people to give money. People don't just give money. People don't just, oh, yeah, you can have hundred grand Here you go. No, no. No, no. God does that. And he moves on people to have a concern for what you're doing so that you can make it happen. And then you can sit back and say, God did this. Oh, that's beautiful. Worst of all, when you you borrow unsecured, you join the ranks of the wicked when you can't pay back. And they lose the money. With nothing to sell, and nothing to gain their money back. You basically have stolen from them. Now now listen, hear me out on this. But they say, but preacher, here's what I hear. It's legal. It was a contract. They were willing to give me the money. They knew it was unsecured. They knew what they were getting into when they got into it. And, and, uh, you know, it's legal, preacher. My answer to that is abortion is legal, but it's not right. Going to a strip club is legal, but it's not right for a Christian to do. Going to uh, uh, Twin Peaks is legal, but I'm going to highly recommend against it as a born-again Christian. I can get drunk at my house. It's legal. As long as I don't get out of my house and get on my property, I can get drunk as a skunk at my house. Totally legal, but it's not right and moral as a Christian. Quit throwing up that deal. It's a legal deal. That's just not, it don't hold water, folks. It don't hold water. Legal does not take away the sin or the responsibility that you have to keep your word to your fellow man. The Bible says let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you borrow something and you say, I will pay you back, you sign a piece of paper and you do have to, and you don't pay her back, you've become a liar. You've become a thief. And that's wicked. Is that not right? It's not lying and stealing, wicked. The wicked borrow and payeth not again. I'm not being too tough. This is absolute sound Bible teaching tonight. Legal does not take away your responsibility. Oh, people come to me also that, that will do that and they'll say, but the credit card company, they got plenty of money. It won't hurt them. And that may be so, But it does not relieve your sin before God. It will not relieve your sin before God, however they are. Because God says it's wicked. Our borrowing with non-secured loans will destroy destroy your, and very likely will destroy your testimony with those fellow brothers you have and the people in your community. And I'm going to tell you, one people I know it will destroy your testimony with is the credit card people. They have souls, too. Every one of them people have souls. They know they're dealing with Christians. Uh Oh, you witness to them on the phone. You talk to them about Jesus. Say, God bless. Have a great day. May the Lord help you. They know they're talking to some sort of Christian. You don't do it. What kind of God do those people have? Is that okay to do that? Yeah. They have souls. The damaged party will not speak well of you. They won't speak well of you. Your God will lose his credibility to them, and those Christians will ring, uh, will ruin, if I may say, and uh, their testimony to those people. And that frivolous behavior for borrowing non-essential and non-essential items, even if it were essential, lessens your ability to help others by giving, because the verse talks about the righteous are generous and give. Aha. When you're in debt to people on, on really stuff, whatever it is, don't make any difference, you're a whole lot less likely to give. Why? Because you know you got a payment coming up here, you know you got this coming up here, you know you got that coming up here. Your ability to give and to be generous is limited. Why was it limited? Well, I had to have a new this, I had to have a big this, I had to have a. But did you really have to have all that? What you did is limit your ability to give and to be generous when people come by the legitimate and the honest and God moves on your heart to give. Yeah, I can't do that. And God says, did not Jesus say it's more blessed to give than to receive? It's quiet in here tonight, amen. Somebody say something. I mean, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to get in a position to be a giver, not a borrower. People will call me up, credit cards call me up and I got them blocked now pretty much. But uh, credit cards will call me up and they'll say, we'll give you this credit card, free this, free that, over this, da-da-da-da-da. I say, no, uh, I don't care. Our interest is, you know, like, you know, low or nothing or whatever for the first six months. I say, no, no. I don't, I don't pay interest. I make interest. That's where you want to go. You don't want to pay interest. You want to make interest. To do that, you got to be careful on your borrowing and, and promoting yourself ahead of your income. Amen? I know there's a lot of conviction going on. I tell you what, my heart has literally been wrung out and broken through the years at born-again believers that love Jesus in every other area that have gotten into this trap. Starting 30-some years ago, coming in and talking to me, I had a woman. I, I think I may have said this to you already. I had a woman come in. She said, "I want to, I want you to meet with. I want you to meet with my husband and I." I said, "Why do you want me there?" She says, "I'm afraid for my safety." Oh, that's great. I thought, "What do I should should I bring my shotgun, preacher? I don't know if you had any of them meetings or not. Should I bring my shotgun, baseball bat? I mean, what am I going to have to fight this guy?" Right away, I'm thinking she probably committed adultery on him or something, and she's getting, she wants to break the news to him while I'm there so he don't kill her. I'm thinking, okay. So he comes in, and boy, he's like, he's, like, he's like all the blood's out of his face. I mean, he knows something big is coming down. And she comes in, she sits down, and he sits down, and he says in front of me, what is going on? on he's a hard-working old girl he's a he was a solid solid man love the Lord and and he said what is going on here and I said she wants to say something to you and she wants me to be here and then that really got him because I didn't know what it was and he didn't know what it was but we both had a hunch it was some immoral thing and she says well you're a hard worker you're a good man she buttered him up and the more she buttered him up the worse I got nervous and she said, "We're thirty thousand dollars in debt on credit cards. Thirty. This is years ago. Twenty-six percent interest. Thirty thousand dollars. You could have taken a sledgehammer and whacked that boy in the head, and it wouldn't have stunned him anymore. He just about drove back in his seat. Thirty thousand dollars." How did it happen? He said, she said, well, you're a good man. She started crying. You're a good man. You're a hard worker, but you just don't make enough money for us to make it. And I just felt bad for you working so many hours and working so hard. And I just thought maybe, you know, we could pay the bills. I wanted to scream at this time. You never can borrow yourself out of debt. That's just... Horse sense. Well, I didn't know how I was gonna pay it back, but I always intended to pay it back, and I really wanted to pay it back, but I and so I'd get a credit card and pay that credit card off, and then get another credit card and pay that, another credit card, and she had all these credit cards, and finally, I guess, they wised up. And all the credit cards must communicate together and say, cut them off. And they cut her off. And then they start calling you. Your phone is like, Ting, two, tym, two, they start turning it over to collection agencies to get 50% for collecting. And they, those collection agencies got no, what am I going to say, no scruples. And they almost mafioso it. And, you know, we're going to, like, take your kid out if you don't pay us. And, uh, you know, your house may burn down. I knew one guy collected with a gas can in his hand. He would come to the house with a gas can in his hand and say, you know, you owe this money, you better pay it, and I want it cash. And you look at that, he never said anything, he just had a gas can in his hand. I don't know about you, but that told me something right away. This guy is going to kill me when I'm sleeping at night. He's going to burn my whole house down. I'm going to get the cash if I've got to borrow from my mother, my aunt, my brother. But we're going to do something, I'm going to pay this boy off. He said he'd collect He was a good collector. <laughs> I know I'm going long. I've got to do it. I'm about done. And so, I've had cases like that. They filed for bankruptcy. There's laws about it. There's no debtor's prison in the United States. You don't go to prison for it. So, they filed for bankruptcy and they went bankrupt and, and and stuck the credit cards with the 30000 But let me say this with God. I know enough about God to tell you this. You can't, Do that with him. You can't do it. You can do it with man, and you can put bankruptcy and put that off, but God, you've sinned before God Almighty, and you need to confess that sin, repent of that sin. And get right with that sin. And I'll be honest with you, you need to get right with your brothers and sisters who you've hurt their testimony as well as you've heard your testimony and Christ's testimony. And you need to get rid of them credit cards. And you need to make a covenant for God that you're not going to have a credit card you can't pay off every month. And the first time you pay interest on that credit card, you're going to get rid of them. Please, please, please get rid of them. Unless you can control them. It's like holding a rattlesnake by the tail. Not a good idea. But you can hold him by the head. And that's what I do with credit cards. I got credit cards. I hold them by the head. I control him. He don't control me. And if, he, if I lose grip on that head, and he bites me, I'm going to get rid of him. Amen? May the Lord help us to remember that verse. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Don't you be part of that. Be part of the righteous. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Man, you give us wisdom and money. A lot in the Bible said about money. A lot in the Bible. May tonight some of the wisdom that went forth from here help us, encourage us. Lord of God, there may be some folks need to repent, flat out need to repent on this area. and I mean, may need to nail it down, make it public. Repent about it. Uh, but whatever it, takes, whatever it takes to be right with you, I want to do it for sure. Lord God, uh, we, ask, we ask adulterers to do that. We ask, uh, we ask uh, thieves to do that. We ask uh, people that have other major sin areas in their lives to come up and, and make it public and confess it to move away from it and, and drive a stake down so that they have victory. God help us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand together.